0: Welcome to Reconvene 2021 sponsored by Juniper Square, a cloud based investment management platform used by probably more than half the real estate private equity firms in attendance here this year. I'm Moses Kagan and this conversation is with Nick Huber, co-founder of Bolt Storage, a self storage platform with assets in the Northeast, Midwest and increasingly the Southeast. You know him as Sweaty Startup on Twitter, who went from zero to 150,000 followers over the course of the last two years.
1: My name is Nick and I write dumb shit on the internet. And we buy really ugly buildings. Welcome, my man. Thanks for having me. This is emotional because I think in 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 the last 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, there's been three super influential people in my life and they're all three in this room. Um, my business partner, Dan Hagberg, who, um, I run into rooms and tear shit up and he picks up the pieces and makes sure that we get <laughs> it done. Poor Dan. Um, and then you, uh, from where I've been, where I was, uh, 20 months ago when you, um, not only came on my podcast, showed interest in what I was doing, told me to get on Twitter and I almost made the biggest mistake of my life and I didn't. And successful, busy Moses took a time out of his day three months later To call me on my cell phone and say Nick um, I just had an urge to call you back and say you need to get on Twitter you need to do it and that changed my whole life Um, we have 25 self storage facilities now Um, we've raised ten million dollars of outside capital Um, we have another 420,000 square feet under contract we're gonna be over a million square feet I'm a top 75 private self storage operator in the country and if Moses didn't make that call I would be moving boxes and I'd have three or four buildings and uh, yeah, it changed my life. So (laughs) the third third person is Chris Powers, um, who the abundance mindset that you and him have is something totally different. I spent the first 10 years of my career thinking that if I took a customer, I was taking a customer from somebody else. If I bought a building, I was taking an opportunity from somebody else. There's only so much money. There's only so much success in the world. I had to take that from other people to get it. And um, for you guys to have the abundance mindset, of hey, uh, we can all do really well together and lifting each other up. We can all make more money, we can all share. Um, that abundance mindset also changed my life, so.
0: That's really awesome That's a, and this is a, uh, a great way to, uh, to start a conversation, so thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
1: And thanks to the team, I mean Moses and Simran, Putting this on, doing the work, it went from me, you know, spending hours and hours sitting in a room, typing into a screen, interacting with smart people, thinking sometimes I'm crazy for doing this, to getting here and meeting you guys, and how spectacular this community has become. Um, that's really emotional as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I'm man. About to cry up here. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, and I co-signed the whole thing. Um, <laughs> so let's get right in. I, I called you when I uh, when I when I introduced you. I called you. Uh, uh, Maybe the most innovative marketer uh, I've ever met in the real estate private equity space And I mean that and I think sometimes uh, marketing can 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 get like there can be like a pejorative or something but in our business as you just heard from Chris and you've heard from me, and I think you heard it from Keith and others. I mean, it's really about telling your story over and over and over again. And Nick has done a better job than I think anyone of, of, of learning how to do that and, and getting that message out there and spreading it around. So I wanna really get into the nuts and bolts of how you've done that, what you've learned, uh, mistakes you've made, think, uh, uh, how you've grown, and then, uh, and again, how it's how it's translated into the into your business.
1: It's a radical approach. Um, I would be fired from 99% of the VP, or- the gp shops in this room probably if i've worked for them and do what i do um, when i was sharing an open book on on how i did business my business partner uh, god bless him he's like nick what the fuck are you doing like you're telling everybody exactly how we make money you're opening our books you're, you're consulting on the side for self-storage operators you're building online courses um, like this is terrible like what is what is <laughs> what is going to happen here and i'm like just i'm having a lot of fun i'm meeting a lot of special people i think it'll pay off trust me and um, yeah, it did. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's fantastic. So, I want to get started before, because I mean, obviously, the, the 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 success on Twitter has been meteoric and spectacular. But let's, I want to I want to kind of like dig into like. The earliest days, even before Twitter, because I came across you on your uh, sweaty startup subreddit, and I'm the kind of weirdo who likes to read about you know small business stuff. So that's how I discovered you. But um, you were already at that point experimenting with with telling your story and all these different media. So let's talk about that. First of all, was it was Reddit the first place, or were you doing something else before that? I I launched
1: the sweaty startup podcast. To uh, I was mentoring my brother, launching his lawn care company. And I'm like, I have a, I, I like teaching this and I kinda of wanna have a record of what I'm saying. And I put out a bunch of podcast episodes into the into nowhere land that nobody listened to. No one listened
0: to. And this is I wanna actually let's let's talk about that sweaty startup concept. Because yeah. you have evolved into being more of like a pure play real estate private equity operator. Mm-hmm. But you had this this message that I think really resonates and continues to resonate and resonated with me, which is why I sought you out in the first place. So maybe 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 talk about My that. My
1: competitive advantage, um, what makes me different than a lot of other operators is that Danny and I came from the hardest business in the history of the world. We were driving around box trucks, having to be on time in these major cities, dealing with wealthy Karen parents from New York City. If we were three minutes late, they were gonna be pissed off. Um, And we had to build a team up of 300 part-time employees to not only deliver boxes in Boston where I was or in Penn State where he was, but also Illinois and Michigan and all these other places where we had part-time college students who needed to show up on time. Um, We learned a hell of a lot about being resourceful and solving problems, and we made the money to be able to get into this game because this is not a this is not a game you can enter without any cash.
0: So that was your that was your sweaty startup. Yep. And um, but and what you were teaching at the at the very beginning and continue to teach is this concept of service business entrepreneurship. Yeah. So maybe maybe talk about that yeah, for tremendous
1: a advantage. I mean, you you most people think about entrepreneurship. You walk out here in L.A. and ask somebody on the street what does entrepreneurship mean. They'll tell you about Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk and Shark Tank when that's not true entrepreneurship. Those are not good risk-adjusted returns for the people starting those businesses, in my opinion. I feel very strongly that more brilliant people need to do sweatier, simple things. I go sit on pitch competitions at UGA Entrepreneurship, and I want to stand up and scream, like, simplify it. What, what, what the fuck are you guys... Like, you're trying to change 100 things about something that already works for a lot of wealthy people who, don't, who use fax machines. Like, just get out there and get a little bit. And uh, so I feel very strongly that in many, many service businesses, uh, if you're coherent you can make good money. <laughs> this
0: is like the opposite of the blue water. I can't remember. Is it blue water entrepreneurship? Oh, uh, yeah, that, yeah, blue ocean strategy. Blue ocean strategy, which right? Which means
1: like, like create a market. You need to be the only competitor. I think that's just bullshit. And right? that's
0: and that's the Peter Thiel. Thing. I mean, look, look, obviously, it's worked incredibly well for some tech people. But you're saying for for the vast majority of entrepreneurs, uh, in fact, just uh, attacking markets that are actually pretty competitive, but just doing a good job in your local it's area. insane survivorship
1: right? bias, right? We, we read about the billionaires, but we don't read about all the folks who had to go get jobs. Because they failed.
0: Look, and I started a crappy tech company that failed, and there's probably a bunch of people in here who have done uh, similar things. So that, that message really resonated with me What's at the a,
1: time. What, what are a lot of dumb people making really good money in? Do um, that. Do that. So that, like, there's a lot of dumb asses here that make a lot of money. I'm yeah. one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: okay, so that was the original message. and I think, And that message, I think, continues to resonate. It's yeah. like... Uh, go look at the plumbing company. Go look at the lawn care company. Go look at the snow removal company. Uh, and biz-
1: business is momentum, so leverage that. Make a little money. Learn a lot about operations, dealing with people, solving problems, how to sell yourself, how to communicate clearly. Learn all that shit along the way. Make some money, and then you are prime position to get into real estate.
0: So I. So okay. So that's so that's the message right there. Uh, mm-hmm. Boom. That that Nick just gave it. Um, uh, that's the message that I heard that made me think this guy is special because that was something that I think uh, I was, I was not hearing that. You know, we were hearing, it was interesting. At the same time, I was listening to Brent B. Shore talk and people like that talk about buying these businesses. There's a lot of uh, heat on this idea of buying small businesses and everything. Uh, but here's Nick um, teaching the how people had to actually start them. And I, I thought thought that was incredibly unique, and that's what drew me, and I think that's what drew a lot of other people
1: too. People were cruel on Reddit. Um, (laughs) People, people think they're like Nick. How do you deal with the haters on Twitter? I'm like, there's no haters on Twitter. Like, people are very nice on Twitter (laughs) because the anonymity or anonymity, whatever. uh, People who sit around on Reddit, you can't block people on Reddit. People started hating me and just every, and it's it's very much a, uh, it's very much a herd mentality. I'll have a tweet. And if, if the first response is a good response, the next that, that tweet will have a ton of good responses. If I'll tweet the same thing every three months, you guys notice that. And sometimes it goes really poorly because of that herd mentality of like first oh, guy
0: comes in and says something horrible. That's how the, the
1: tomato go. thing happened. I mean that poor guy got jumped on. Uh, for making that tweet about, you know, $50 a month instead of a million dollars, everybody was jumping on him. So I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll just take up for him with a joke. And just, <laughs> and that was
0: amazing. We're going to talk about that more because, that was, I mean, it's mm-hmm. like iconic now on, on Twitter. Um, okay, so you start on Reddit and you're telling it and you're, and you're sort of like you're preaching this this gospel. um did a community start to actually build at that point or did you feel like you were yelling into the wind?
1: Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, it, you can't build relationships with anon. It's a bunch of blind leading the blind on Reddit, not very many people who are going and doing and shaking. And Twitter is the opposite, right? Twitter is a bunch of people who are doing deals, a bunch of people with experience. Um, so when, when you convinced me to come over, I realized very, very quickly that you can leverage Twitter to build a brand, to meet people, to raise money, to do all the things that we're doing now.
0: And I th- so I think what... What, besides the fact that your message was good, what made me think you would do well on Twitter is also those videos you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're I don't know if everyone's seen them, but they're they're like, it's like Nick uh, sitting in a truck outside a self- storage facility, uh, just like talking off the top of his head about what's going on with this facility, why we bought it, how we take care of it, all this stuff. And it's like super raw. It's yeah. like not produced. It's not slick at all. And I think if you, um showed that to someone at an institutional private equity firm, and we're like, this is the future of internet marketing, of how you're gonna be generating your capital base. People would look at you like you had three heads. but it works.
1: yeah, so people think real estate private equity shops uh, you you think of like walking up to a, a old classic bank. you got a banker in there really buttoned down with a black stone. Yeah, like we are very, strong, yeah. we're professional. And then you have Nick Huber who just makes himself look like an idiot on the internet. and uh, now we're gonna. Maybe Nick knows what he's doing like maybe maybe the fact that he doesn't take himself too seriously Maybe that's that's a different model.
0: So it was like really raw and and sort of natural and putting yourself out there
1: I'm gonna try to convince everybody here to put themselves out there on the internet That's what I want you guys to take away from this. It's not for everybody. There's a lot of downsides um, but it's it you can get get a long way quick
0: so so I I so so I, I heard your message I thought it was amazing I at the same time was kind of like starting to get involved in in Twitter and there, there was there was a real estate Twitter but it was maybe less popular and the fewer people and everything um, so I had started but I had sort of already started to see like getting inbound leads and people and just meeting interesting people and 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 some of the even some of the announced like, super smart people were reaching out to me and frankly like more much more sophisticated than I am but too taking me seriously and it was like clear that this was going to go somewhere. So I reach out to you and I'm like, listen, you got to, you got to try this. And you come on and what's your experience like initially?
1: Um, I came on too cocky. I was 30, 31. I'm, I have a lot of ego. I I came in thinking I knew everything and um, I realized real quick that I didn't. And I I got a humility check from all the smart people on there getting me smarter really quick. And I realized, okay, I'm going to come at this. Like I'm going to change my mind, something on every day. I'm going to change my mind on something every single day. And um, it's a great way to get feedback from a lot of really smart people and get smarter fast.
0: So one of the things that I love about the way that you've presented yourself on Twitter is, um, the algorithm thrives on controversy, right? Like people love, I'll tell you exactly how I think about it. Yeah. And so, but you're, you're, and I, please do, um, from the outside, it's like your certainty drives controversy, Mm -hmm. but your um but your your stated position, that you're open to changing your mind and you're sure you're wrong a lot and you're willing to be convinced, uh, means that even though you're generating controversy, people don't kind of hold it against you.
1: Yeah, the best way to get good feedback is to act, I have a thought, I'm not sure on something. I'll think of, I'll think something, and then I'll make a very definitive statement on Twitter about it. And I get a lot of replies both both sides, and I'm like, oh, I'm formulating my true opinion after I get that. And also, yeah, controversy. Uh, if you guys read four of my tweets and you scroll past all four of them, it won't show you my next four tweets But if I write one of these controversial things about doctors and lawyers or your kids sleeping in your bed or tomatoes and Millions of people click on that millions of people see it um, Then I'm kind of quiet for 24 hours and the algorithm is ready to give Nick Huber to everybody And that's when I deliver a high-value thread on cost cost segregation.
0: See that is fantastic I actually had no idea that mm-hmm. that uh, that you've known most that.
1: people tweet too much Um, A lot of people just one off tweets. No, you you have a model of you're not going to bring in a ton of followers, but you're building a deep relationship with your 50,000 followers. I'm the top of funnel for real estate Twitter. Oh, this guy, this guy, Nick, he's an idiot. I'm going to follow him And Oh, what about Chris powers and Moses and all these other brilliant people in this community? Um, I
0: want to say actually, it's something that I've noticed is that the um, I think of your account on Twitter as um, like an icebreaker, like you're doing a lot of the hard work of make um,
1: myself look really stupid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the top of the funnel is maybe the right way to put it, um, and it and it it has it has made it much easier for me and for Chris and for for a lot of people out here actually to grow our followings kind of in your wake. Uh, so, so I appreciate you doing that. And I think um, I, and it's interesting to hear that you, that you are aware of that, uh, uh, that dynamic I, as well. It,
1: so I screw around, but I take it very, very seriously. Um, Twitter is, obviously, there are some problems with the way I interact with Twitter. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up. It's the last thing I think about when I go to bed. I, I feel like I'm shortchanging my family. I could do what I do on Twitter in an hour, but I spend three or four. But that, the time on Twitter in the last two years has been the uh, highest value work that I've ever Yeah, done. and
0: I and I make that point too because I'm like self-conscious about the time I spend on there because people it's like why aren't you doing something serious? It's like, well, actually like this this arguably is the highest and best use of my time.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: And I think and so you found it to be similarly the case.
1: Yeah, I mean, now we're we're growing a very fast uh, company, uh, growing a company very fast and learning a lot about how to do that on Twitter as well, but um, but yeah, it's it's a very focused effort for me. It's it's the most important thing I can do for Bolt Storage is tweet.
0: Um, okay. So, uh, and just out of curiosity, have you, um, entirely dropped the other, cause you, you were on Reddit, you were, you were doing your podcast. I've noticed you've done some podcast stuff. No, something. I still have
1: two full-time podcasts. Um, I don't do interviews because they take way too long. I honestly spend about 30 minutes a week and I record both episodes, send them to my guy in the Philippines. He builds the ads, he does everything right. So, um, I have that streamlined and now I'm a good, clear communicator. And that translates over to other parts of business too.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah, no, I want to talk, I want to come back to that too. Um, so let's talk about, so you, you're the, the, just so everyone, and most people here probably know, but in case people don't, you went from like zero followers to what are you like at 150,000? Well, you got me
1: my first thousand. You can't go on Twitter and start tweeting into no man's land and with no followers. This will be really, really hard. You're the one that said, hey, I'm going to vouch for this guy. You had four or 5,000 followers. You said, follow Nick. I got my first 500 and then it went from there. It went right? from there. Um, and also you can't grow a following on Twitter if you're not doing anything that's the biggest people come on and they're always trying to make threads on this and that and it can work but if you're in the weeds doing and you have something to share that's when people want to hear what you have to say
0: so um so i I want and i I do want to i want to come back to that i want to hear so so there's been this like you've had this meteoric rise and along the way like you've been enmeshed in various controversies (laughs) um do you uh do you feel like, I mean, did you make mistakes? Like, do you, do you regret some of the stuff that you did as you, were, as you were growing that following?
1: Yeah, I took it too seriously. I think I've blocked, maybe I have five or six people here that have blocked, you know? <laughs> Elliot, who's a good friend of mine, we blocked each other a couple of times. Stupid <laughs> shit like that, right? You, you get too seriously, you get too serious about it. You, I get emotional. I find myself looking like an idiot. And I'll say that um, it's really easy to get an argument with somebody but you have to realize that there are a bunch of people lurking in the background judging you by how you react to a situation. So it's made me more mature. It's made me not jump down people's throat and call them an idiot, you know, even though I think they're an idiot, they're wrong. <laughs> no, but- I've like, I
0: I, um, I actually think it, from my own experience, um, in real life I'm considerably more judgmental and less patient than I am online. And, but, uh, and that's because on Twitter, um, I have a moment to think before I respond, I'm like sitting there typing. I'm like, "Ah, I probably shouldn't write that. Let me, let me, let me rephrase that to make it better. Okay.
1: When you've had a couple bourbons in a cigar, it's easy. It's it's harder. harder. No, it's true. (laughs) But what I have
0: found is that, um, interestingly, um, the, the way I act on Twitter has sort of bled back into, I feel like I've become a more patient, more thoughtful person in the rest of my life yeah, right. as a result of what I've learned how to do on there.
1: It's given me some humility for sure because I, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump down somebody's throat and then somebody will send me a DM like, that guy you just told the to F off is actually a badass and you're... Uh, <laughs> you don't know you're not <laughs> <guy. laughs> All right,
0: well, though. So, you, so you've learned as you've grown. Um, let's talk about some of the opportunities that have, have opened up for your business and also for, you know, it's not just, I mean, it's bolt storage, uh, uh, the, which is uh, also a very interesting story. And I want to talk talk more about your, your strategy and what you've done there. Um, but you've also had a bunch of other sort of uh, peripheral opportunities that have emerged, I'm too. An,
1: I'm a, it looks like I'm dabbling, but I'm very focused in what I do and what I choose to spend time on. But we got to address the elephant in the room, and that's the question that I get from everybody. Like, Nick, why are you sharing your trade secrets? Like, why right. are you telling everybody how awesome storage is? Um, and the answer is, I mean, it's... It's easy when you're in your office or you're in your neighborhood and you're thinking about the buildings and you're looking at them. But when you are flying across the country and I get on a plane in Atlanta and I take off and out one window, I see more real estate than anybody in this whole room could ever buy. Um, And a guy who pays me $2,500 to get consulting on a self-storage deal becomes an LP. We have seven LPs in this recent deal that have joined my paid stuff and done my media. Um, A guy that is in my paid community and has done uh, a consulting for just sent me a deal that was too big for him that'll be a a great deal for bolt storage i mean the synergies around building the brand vastly outweigh the fact that okay maybe on a deal one deal in pennsylvania i'll get outbid by a person that uh, follows me on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> come on, man.
0: No, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, that's an abundance mindset. And I, and I, you know, uh, maybe I model more of that online than, than, than I have in my real life. I mean, I, that is something I've struggled with a lot. Yeah.
1: They, I think it's FinTwit and retwit, right? FinTwit, those guys are in a drastically competitive industry. They're on the internet. They're, they're competing in very small niches and the winner take all. It's a winner take all with technology companies, right? Real estate, it's not winner take all. We can all make a hell of yeah, a lot of money. A, right, that, that's <laughs> an, I, a, we yeah. could all be in L.A. And we could all make enough money to get around. Go around. You okay. have you have five or six of your competitors right here in this room.
0: I know. <laughs> um, no, but I but I, I think that's something that I've learned, um, uh, and I, I think I learned it from Chris Powers and from Keith, um, and and I've and I've tried to model it myself. But it's definitely something that I struggle with, and I appreciate you kind of like amplifying it back to me because mm-hmm. it's it's something that I I do personally wrestle with all the time. Yeah. Um. So so talk about those um those other opportunities. So you're you are you you got um you've got your paid community.
1: Yeah, the two podcasts, um, the, the online courses, which by the way, there is online courses have a bad rap, but um, there, there's nothing that made me smarter than writing that thing. There's nothing that makes me a clearer thinker than doing my podcasts. There's, you know, it's, it's just making me a lot smarter too. Like that's the biggest opportunity.
0: You know, uh, and I, I guess I want to jump in here and say also that um, one of the challenges in building one of these um, entrepreneurial real estate private equity businesses is that um, almost no matter how you slice your relationship with the LPs and, and almost no matter what size and type of deals you're doing you are going to be cash crunched at the beginning phase.
1: And that's where Chris Powers came in. We can talk about how we set up the real estate private equity company, but it's always natural for a GP to say, I don't need fees, right? I don't need any fees. I want to be the no fee guy. I want to be the no fee guy. And, and Chris, right. is shaking, Screw that. Chris is shaking me saying, Nick, you cannot build a sustainable company. You cannot hire the people you need to hire. You can't, you'll can't. you be forced to sell deals when maybe you shouldn't sell a deal. Um, or if God forbid, and we know we're all preparing for it, the economy tanks and all of a sudden all the GPs who aren't charging fees are hungry for five years. We have have no income because if we're not refining, we're not selling, uh, we make no money. Right?
0: So I think that one of the ways to understand, um, these ancillary business lines effectively Mm -hmm. that you created is you, you, we did to, to, to bridge that gap between beginning uh, GP business until we were at a scale where we had enough fees coming in and ownership and all that stuff. Like we did a ton of fee for service development, which, mm-hmm. in re- you know, glad to have done it, built our mm-hmm. management company, brought lot. in a bunch mm-hmm. of money, learned a lot, all that stuff in retrospect, an enormous diversion of time and everything. So I think you can see uh, your ancillary cash generative businesses as a way of similarly bridging that gap, maybe in a way that's like more sustainable than what we did.
1: Yeah. And all my other things that I do are mostly to distract Nick because just like Chris powers, I'm the guy who runs into the room and creates chaos. Um, My employees don't like chaos. My team doesn't like chaos. And we've now we're onto something where, Hey, if we take, and this is literally Chris powers last night talking to me about this. If, if we take our business and turn it a year forward, everybody's in that. Imagine everybody's sitting right here and I, and I'm just, fucking up the business. That's what I do when I sit around and think about my business all day. Um, instead, sometimes you just need to let time work. We're lucky to be in a very good business now. I love self-storage. We have some systems that we're building that are scalable. Um, we're more confident than ever that we're going to be able to pull this off and create a you know, business that can buy 100 million a year of self-storage. But um, sometimes you just got to let time do its thing. And I'm a very impatient person. So playing golf, coming to this stuff, doing my podcasts, it keeps me from fucking up the main thing. <laughs> no,
0: I listen, honestly, that's that's I appreciate the openness about that and that's I mean, I no, I don't think any of my employees are here today but they would say the same thing about yep. me, like I'm mm-hmm. constantly ruining their lives with new things that they have to go mm-hmm. do. Um so thank you for that. Um let's talk about the impact on um on Bolt Storage itself yeah. of of this this profile that you have. Like let, walk us through what it was like in the beginning to raise money, yep. like when you were before you had this public profile and what does it look like now?
1: Well, yeah, I I come from a 2 middle class families without generational wealth and i came from a very poor county in southern indiana not from money um so raising money for the first two 1.8 the original budget was 1.8 million to build that building in ithaca new york we raised 500 grand from outside investors it took nine months and i had to do the hardest sales pitches on everybody i knew i convinced the broker who sold us the property to put in 100 grand (laughs) um i mean it was crazy i had no i had nobody right and it was five hundred thousand and it took nine months and I was getting on planes and I was going to see people and all this work and um, that deal went we went way over budget we instead of 1.9 we spent 2.4 incredibly stressful but once we got it open we hit our stride with operations because we're really good operators and that we refied out at five million bucks uh, a year ago and now it's worth seven and a half and it's the best thing that ever happened to us uh, But yeah, and then I started tweeting openly about my deals online. And I started putting profit and loss statements. This is how I think, this is how we think about business, this is how we're hedging risk, this is how the market's changing. And that's
0: all building trust by the way I, mean, I think i think i don't i think people underestimate that one of the most um common things that i hear from people who reach out to me to be investors who, who dm me on twitter or whatever is like i feel like i know you because i've been reading and following you for two years now so you don't have to explain who you are how you think about the world because i already know
1: really smart people are wiring moses nick chris they're wiring us money and they've never met us in person Um, But they've had a look into our mind for six months eight months a year on Twitter They see how we interact they see how we think about business that is insanely valuable I'll get on a call with an LP and the LP knows how I think about a lot of things already, which helps a ton, right? So yeah, we we started raising money We did a couple really good deals this time last year that like Elliot would say those don't exist anymore (laughs) Uh, but no, I mean uh, we raised money and, d- and hit a couple home runs and we were just guessing right so we didn't want to get too aggressive we always watered down our projections we were guessing me and Dan were making a big bet we're gonna go buy some buildings uh, let's see how it goes so we bought, a- bought some buildings at the end of last year and this this spring and then it's like okay let's see how it went and then uh, it went really well because everybody did really well in the self-storage business in the past year I mean you got public storage growing as fast as Google, right? Same store year over year revenue, 15%. So investors are like, holy shit, I need more storage. So it gets harder to buy deals. Um, So we, A, we needed to hire. We had six people in April and now we have 25 and we'll have 50 by the year end.
0: That's a crazy operational challenge. But of course, you've kind of gone through this massive hiring stuff before. It's,
1: I don't want to say easy, but a hell of a lot easier than sleeping in a goddamn warehouse uh, (laughs) that I was doing five years ago with my business partners. And I want
0: to actually, so, um, I think sometimes people can get the impression from you that your business is older and more established than it actually is. Like I want to, we have a group here who are entrepreneurial right and so and they're looking at you and they're going this guy's done all this stuff and he's a big follower but like it wasn't that long ago that you were doing that for like that that first project and scraping and
1: yeah so i act like an expert on twitter and well you are an expert but but i don't know much at all there's there's many people here who know way more than i do i'm not foolish enough to think i know everything about real estate private equity i'm learning fast but yeah we've only been at this since 2017 and we've only been at it seriously for a year and a half so i got a lot to learn and um I, I, I forgot what you asked. Me. No, I think that's. But I, no,
0: I think that's. That's. It's incredibly valuable. To point this out because I think that um, when people are thinking about whether to make the jump into doing this, it's it's a hard thing. I mean, a lot of these people who are sitting out here have, um, who are not who are not already in the business, um, have good jobs. They have families. They have. So uh, it's a big risk to go jump out and do that, and it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it, it, it is. Mm-hmm. And so you are like what all you've done. You've done in five years. And really, as you've just said, like maybe it's, it's more it's like 18, two-
1: it's 18, 18, months ago, my business partner and I, we had three buildings, uh, buy, bought a couple small ones. So we had maybe eight or $8 or $10 million worth of storage total. Um, and we were our to- our service business that fed our families got totally wrecked by COVID. We got all oh, the
0: college students, all, all the
1: college students went home at once. We didn't have any of our employees left. And we're like, Oh my God, what the hell do we do now? Um, And so we put our sales hat on we got super resourceful. We flew to DC we made some partnerships with moving companies and and like if there's a moment that I'm most proud of Dan and our team it's it's that month where we went from nothing to having our best year ever because We had the courage to go out and sell and do something new Um, Very soon after that we realized that that's not the business we want to be in We made the decision to sell partly because we had access to LP capital for the first time ever we could grow We could buy storage Um, Did the big cash out refi? Sold the business, had the best business ever. So we're sitting on three or four million dollars. Like it's go time,
0: <laughs> and that's when you start. So you start actively acquiring. That's when money. we grew
1: our team. That's when we started buying more buildings. Uh, the early buildings went really well. So uh, yeah, I have the opportunity of a lifetime to build something really great. So we're we're getting we're getting after it.
0: And where are inter, uh, just just so uh, maybe you already said this. So forgive me, but um, where are you guys today in terms of like assets under? We winter? have
1: 600, 640,000 square feet, twenty five buildings. Um, we have 17 under contract for another 420,000. That's square incredible growth, and we got to close it all by year end. So, uh, it's gonna be, uh, I'll be doing what are a you doing less. here? Like,
0: go, go, go work.
1: <laughs> no, we got good. We look, I mean, the, the business is not as complex. I mean, you have, yeah, we're growing from a customer service team that also did collections and also kind of managed the vendors to now, uh, A customer service team with very focused customer service stuff, people that answer the phone only to take payments, people that only do collections, people that only do auctions, divisions. And then we have a maintenance team. I mean, hiring abroad is probably the the most important part of my company. We're all remote. Our our CFO, I have not seen him since he started working for me. I haven't met most of my teammates who are like family to me now. I've never met them in person. We're all over the place. Twelve employees in the Philippines, uh, two, soon to be three in Colombia. And we're building out divisions because we buy a self-storage facility in rural Pennsylvania. The day we close, we have to show up with a sign with six vendors that are ready to go. Snow plowing, pest control, you know, all overhead door company, gate company, all these people that need to be ready to go. Um, We can get a hell of a lot done from the Internet, though. It's, It's amazing. How
0: how did you build those systems? I mean, we we have been, so we, we started out in it we have been an in-person company and mm-hmm. COVID obviously forced us to go remote. Mm-hmm. And uh, the challenge of both growing the team and bringing people in and acculturating them and figuring out procedures when we're not in the office is a nightmare for us.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What have you guys done in that regard?
1: Like, who, I, sp- I spend all my time chasing talent and almost none of them have real estate experience. And Danny spends all his time building the business. He's he is building the processes, he's creating the processes and we have maybe 3 people in our company that are making decisions and everybody else is blocking and tackling. So that's a pretty good business to run.
0: But you have like written procedures, yeah. or you can hand someone this like this is your a,
1: job. This is your job. This is what you do and it turns out employees like that. They're not entrepreneurs. They they, they like
0: structure, certainty and structure. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and then it allows you to slot people in relatively mm-hmm. easily. Yeah. Right? So
1: growing from six to 25 was pretty stressful because we had to figure out who those people were who could make decisions. But now that we know the people that are competent at leading teams and creating systems, it's about uh, training more people and, and bringing them in. And when you're and when you're making investments in Colombia for $20,000 a year for an employee or the Philippines for $12,000 a year, um, it's not as stressful as trying to find analysts out of college for 75 grand who come to you the first month and ask you for more money. Dude. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I know. Um, all right. So your are um, so, so you, the, this storytelling that we've been talking about has resulted in this like massive, I mean, obviously you've had massive growth in part because the results have been really good. Let's mm-hmm. not, let's yeah, got, not. I got you lucky. Know. I'm in a yeah. very good business, right? Well, yeah, you're in a good business. You guys have had, uh, you have a very innovative way of operating and maybe, um, uh, maybe, maybe actually, because we haven't actually talked about that and it's going to, People in the audience have heard it a little bit, but if maybe maybe give us a couple of minutes on like what exactly you're doing—the the the buying this, the, these these rural self-storage businesses and automating them and, and the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, so both uh,
1: self-storage, the big players in self-storage, public storage, space, CubeStar, Smart—they only own about 30% of the market, but they have a full-time manager in every store, and I I think that'll be that way for 10 more years. I think that they're not even close to getting away from having a manager in the store. Um, the way I come from, like running a business remotely with student storage, I'm like, why the hell do we have somebody sitting here doing nothing, sweeping floors and answering customer calls and missing some of them and all these things. So yeah, we go out and we can, we can go buy storage facilities that are not in major cities. They're not multi-story. They're totally different asset class. I consider them a totally different asset class, but we go to very rural areas. We'll buy a 30,000 square foot building and, um, we'll operate it more efficiently than the REITs and we'll drive revenue like the REITs. So that's my strategy you talked to me a year ago i'm really excited about how we cut costs how efficient our team is how we're innovating on the operation side and you talk to me now and i realize how powerful it is to find true market rent these towns driving that, rents yeah. the towns we buy in the perfect facility for us to buy is in a town where everybody's 100 percent full or near it so what that tells me is the true market rent has not been dis- discovered if you go with ne- if you buy a storage facility next to life storage and public storage their algorithms have already discovered the true market rent because right. when because you want to be 93% occupied you never want to be full you're leaving money on the table and uh so they the the pricing that they move around it finds it we uh, are are starting to be able to make those estimates now too
0: so that's a, so that that is an innovative business. Um, and and so so I don't want to lose sight of the fact when talking about your growth. Like, yes, it's about storytelling, but you're not it's not storytelling about nothing. It's storytelling mm-hmm. about a, a business model that has done really, really well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I want to talk. So you've had this meteoric growth. Um, you have um, also innovated in in the way that you've communi- that you communicate with your investors, both. Um, before you do a deal so the process of marketing a particular deal yep. to those investors yep. and then also uh, in the in the area of reporting and this is actually new to me. And so I'm I'm so excited to hear more about what you're doing
1: there. Yeah, so we have almost five hundred investors in our list, which is mind blowing considering <laughs> how quickly we've been doing this. But um we got a little over our skis with the raise this past week because we've we've only done little one, two million dollar equity raises, and they fill up by the same twenty guys that are trying to cost average into our yep. guys and gals that are trying to cost average into our portfolio. It doesn't even make it out to our full list. We got cocky, we're like Okay, when it comes to refi these properties, we need scale because we can't put CMBS debt on a $2 million property if we want to hold it forever. So let's group. We just got five opportunities in Georgia. Let's group them all together. $13 million, let's go raise six. We're using less debt right now, more equity to reduce some risk. Double-edged sword, it reduces cash on cash as sure. well. Um, so we went out for $6 million, and our same 20 people, they all put in their <laughs> $250K, but guess what? We had $3 left. <laughs> so we had to go, I'll, I'll do some... Uh, some some work over the next couple of weeks, right?
0: Right now. So but but I want to talk about specifically um, the the videos. you. Oh, yeah, yesterday.
1: so so Like Chris said, they are customers we're running three businesses. Our LPs need to make really good money Our customers need to have a really good experience Our management company needs to be profitable and a real estate private equity company that needs to be profitable we're running We're really pleasing yep. three people the cut the investors are our lifeblood. They're our partners um, We want to build a machine that can get them great returns for the next 20 years so um, how we think about things. It's easy to send a deck out that has been written. It's a 16 page deck. Um, it's easy to send that out and the people here know how to read those decks, but a lot of people don't. So I record a Loom video where I'm on Google Maps, I'm on Street View, I'm showing them the properties. I'm talking about the big assumptions that we make. Hey, look, our, our goal here is to drive revenue. So we need to do X, Y, Z. This is what I'm a little bit worried about. This is, this is how we underwrote the deal. This is the risk factors here. And I'm just, I'm on video talking to them In the investor portal, the first thing they see is a video of Nick explaining how he thinks about the deal. Now, is this,
0: and I apologize for not having seen this before, but, um, so I'm going to ask some very nuts and bolts questions. Um, Camera pointing at you or it's a loom video and you're kind of talking. Yeah, I'm in the circle.
1: I'm in a circle in the corner shared screen and um, I'm in my software talking about how our previous, when I'm on, when I'm doing that, I can really efficiently communicate how our business works. And i can tell our story i can pound my chest and say this is what we do this is what we do more efficiently than a 17 page deck with disclaimers and irrs and all these things that i mean i hate building five-year models there's things outside of my control you got interest rates you got somebody buying your property all these things i can't control but what i can control is how i operate the business so that's what i love to talk about on those videos
0: so you're showing them and you're you're, you're kind of showing them like okay you're gonna zoom in on google maps Show them, okay, this is what this looks like. Here's what I'm looking ar- mm-hmm. a- around the property. About this, Here's what yeah. you're thinking about. Mm-hmm. Here are the other facilities in the area. Here's this what they're This guy's full.
1: This guy doesn't answer the phone. We're hoping to buy this guy next year. You know, all that. Right. So
0: <laughs> li- really getting into the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. of it. Because I think um, one of the, um, if you ask like a, a an institutional private, uh, a real estate private equity firm, like what their investment memo process looks like, it's not sharing a raw video that, you know, you, you, and my attorney g- hates those videos, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but I think that by giving people, that's it's, again, it's, it's, it's showing people really how you're thinking about this mm-hmm. in a, an extremely raw and natural way. And that of course builds trust.
1: And every month we send them a, a, how many people moved in, how many people moved out, what where our revenue is based on projections. And then every quarter I record another video, like, Hey, I'm in the software. Look at our, this is where occupancy is going. I'm showing them, I'm showing them move ins, move outs. I'm showing them what I'm worried about. I'm showing them what I'm excited about. Lately, it's been really good news, but I'm sure I'm going to have to share bad news eventually to to investors. And um, it just it makes them feel like they know how we think, which is if I was trusting somebody with my capital, I'd want to know how that person thinks about it.
0: And and what has the feedback been like, both for the um, uh, videos that you show prospective investors, and also for the kind of the videos
1: that you show about the reporting? It's been amazing. Yeah, people love it. I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's been very and, good and, and what mm-hmm. in terms
0: of the time investment on your end like I mean that I, that sound like uh, Everyone's sitting here and going well. I'm spending my time finding deals. I'm spending my time raising capital You know doing investor calls all that stuff. Uh, oh great. Now I have to make videos like, Well, that's where this whole like, that's where right. this
1: whole flywheel of everything I'm doing starts to work upon itself I the first 20 podcast episodes I recorded they took me hours to record. I was cutting them. I was chopping them I wasn't well-spoken um, by episode 50 of the sweaty startup since that moment forward, I haven't done a retake or an edit on any of those podcasts because I'm just getting better at clear, concise communication. So yeah, I can log in and I can spend eight minutes talking about a deal and I, and it's done. Right. Uh, so I'm getting better at those things. Mm-hmm. So it's not very time consuming.
0: That's I mean, if, I, uh, if anyone like that, that, by the way, that is the nugget that I'm going to take away <laughs> from this, <laughs> from this conversation. So I don't know if people are taking notes, but. people uh, think the podcast
1: is, People think the podcast is a waste of time, but. All I do is sell myself and my vision on my investors, my employees. I gotta sell them on my vision and what we're doing. I'm I'm, I'm selling all day long, and there's no better way to sell than get good at talking to a, a, a screen.
0: <laughs> well, and you're and, the, and I think uh important to note, you know, wh- when we raise money, uh, I'm doing all, I'm doing tons and tons of phone calls. And that's just like the nature of it. I think pro- probably everyone out here is doing the same thing. And I'm sure you're doing it too. But um, being able to record videos. I mean, you're basically creating personal relationships at scale.
1: And we do this inside of our company. Instead of having a call with a new customer service rep where we're teaching them how to do a certain thing, we'll create an eight minute loom video that they can watch, they can study, then we quiz them. Then if they need to reference it, they can go back and reference it. I'm stealing this one too. Because we have, (laughs) I mean, we have people in the Philippines guiding our customers through our facilities. They don't know how it works. So I make a loom video of like, hey, you're talking to a customer, this is the geography of Ithaca, New York. This is how to guide them to our property. This is how our facility looks. And if their unit number is X, Y, Z, they go down here so that uh, they can learn it and they can study it and they can rough. They sound it. like
0: an expert when they're talking to your customers. Right. So um, super fascinating. I'm really that's a that's a that's a great insight. Um, let me ask uh, to finish up here. Um, you know, Chris earlier talked about like this vision of building a big company and you, you've used similar language. What does this look like, like 10 or 20 years from now?
1: I know that we've already bought enough real estate and it's doing well enough to where it's life-changing for me and Dan. So I constantly have a battle with my ego of, Nick, what do you want? Why do you want to build a relationship with your kids? Do you want to be tied to your desk? Do you like, what, is, what are you doing all this for? And I battle with that a lot. I don't know the answer. Me and Dan, are. we have a lot of energy. If you met me, I've slept two hours a night the last week and I'm still just, I can't sleep because I'm so energized by this crowd and by what's happening here. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm, Part of me has the ego. I want I want to be Chris Powers. I want to be Keith Wasserman I want to be Moses. I so That's on one side of it on the other side of it is like when I when I'm an old man, I want to have uh, I want to do the work now to build a, a strong Marriage and I want to have good kids and I want to be an old man sitting in a chair like my dream is I want to be an old man sitting in a chair and my like 20 grandkids are running all around. Like that is why I live. Right. So how I love big, that image.
0: I, I, I love how, that. I, will, I want that for you.
1: How big do, does, will bolt storage become? I think, you know, we're on, we're on pace to do some special, special stuff. Our business is simple enough to where um, I don't need to sacrifice other areas of life and get totally obsessed with work to build a company that can buy a hundred million a year of self storage. Um, and if I do that when I'm 32 and that happens for 20 years, who knows what it'll become, right? So I'm just taking one step at a time. I'm having a ton of fun. I'm learning a, a lot about myself. I'm learning from people like you guys. I'm learning so much just this week to having these conversations, um, trying to stay humble. It's easy to get greedy, too, when we're in an environment where self-storage is getting a lot more expensive. So it's harder to make that decision that, dude, we're going we're gonna to have an LTV loan of 54%. <laughs> We're only going to lever this thing halfway up when we don't have to do that. But we got a lot to lose now. Um, I feel like I have a lot to lose, so I don't want to lose it. So, well,
0: what we'll what an inspiring vision, and I think a wonderful way to wrap up this uh, our talk and this uh, and, and this event. Uh, thank you, thank you so much for that. Really, uh, really appreciate it.